You are listening to the Progress Your Health Podcast, episode 51. Welcome to the Progress Your Health Podcast with your hosts, Dr. Robert Mackey and Dr. Valerie Davidson, a husband and wife team who specialize in bioidentical hormone replacement therapy and functional medicine. They're here to help you lose weight, balance hormones, and age gracefully. It's their mission to motivate, educate, and empower you to take your health to the next level. And now your hosts, hormone experts, Dr. Mackey and Dr. Davidson. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Progression Health Podcast. I'm Dr. Mackey. And I'm Dr. Davidson. Uh, so on this episode, uh, as of late, we've been uh, kind of diving into some listener uh, reader questions. Uh, we've been getting a ton of them. We just don't have the time to you know, respond to them individually. So we're going to continue on that trend and actually answer another one. Uh, today, this question is from Jen. So I'm going to go ahead and just read the question, and then we're going to go kind of back and forth a little bit talking about it. And this one's um, kind of on a combination with um, BHRT, with doing hormone replacement. So here's um, here's from Jen, and I'm certainly appreciate you, Jen, sending this out so that we can let other people learn from your question. So it says, hi, I stopped my cycle four years ago. For the last four weeks, I've been taking biased and testosterone. So estradiol one milligram, estriol one milligram, and testosterone four milligrams combined together. I do a quarter gram applied in the morning and a quarter gram applied at night. If I'm receiving a half a gram total, that is 0.5 milligrams of estradiol, 0.5 milligrams of estriol, and two milligrams of testosterone per application. But I've been getting dull headaches at the backside of my head four to five hours prior to the application time. And I have breast tenderness, which I hate. I've asked my doctor to raise up my my quantity or raise up my dose and then also take out the testosterone in a separate compound so that I can do them separately to see if it's the testosterone causing headaches or if it's the lack of estrogen causing headaches. After reading your responses, I wish I would have suggested a different ratio, perhaps the estradiol increase or drop or estriol increase or drop might help with my breast tenderness. I also take one milligram, I'm thinking she probably means more like 100 milligrams of oral progesterone at night. Um, Your thoughts, question mark. I want the benefits of the estradiol, you know, hair, skin, being happy, but I don't want to feel fat and pregnant. So thank you in advance for your response and your thoughts, Jen. This is uh, this one really comes down to really a, a ratio question, and we see this quite often. As of late, there's been a lot of these uh, ratio uh, ratio issues coming up, and what that means uh, is the biased bi meaning two, est meaning estrogen. There's two types of estrogen that are predominantly used in uh, BHRT preparations. You used to use, I think you mentioned on one of our earlier podcasts about triest, but that's not really common anymore. So biased using estradiol E2 and estriol E3. Uh, we like to start out most of the time with an 80-20 preparation. That one is, I think, kind of the original, maybe the most common, but there's been a trend as of late, especially with all these questions, of doctors prescribing a 50-50 ratio. Exactly. And then some people that a 50-50 ratio would be appropriate for, they're doing an 80-20, so then it ends up being too weak. I think in the case of Jen, now we're not, we don't have like her full entire background, but I think in the case of Jen, it looks like she's probably in, you know, just going into menopause or just gotten into menopause, wasn't on any kind of hormone replacement prior. So the 
50-50 ratio of the estradiol, so you have one milligram of estradiol to one milligram of estriol, so that's a 50-50 ratio, is probably like she's assuming, because she's obviously, you know, keyed in here and listening to our responses and doing her own research, she's probably just a little bit over her estradiol is probably just a little bit too high compared to that estriol. And like she had mentioned about some thoughts about readjusting that that ratio. And like um, one thing that um, Dr. Mackey and I do, especially when we're starting off with hormones, is to actually separate the testosterone from the biased or the estrogen um, cream, because then if you need to increase up the cream or decrease the cream, then you're, you don't have your variables independent. Yeah. In the beginning, you're just trying to establish what's most important for women is you're trying to establish a good response with the estrogen and the progesterone, and the testosterone can be added in later. Or like you said, it can be a third variable. So you're not doing three hormones all at once. Uh, the testosterone, especially in the beginning, if she hadn't been on it for a while um, or have, hadn't been on it at all, and all of a sudden you're doing three hormones at one time, really it comes down to you know the estrogen progesterone being the most important, and the testosterone is kind of like you know it's kind of like icing on the cake afterwards. You you know that can always be done after the fact. Once the once the biased and progesterone dose has been somewhat, you know, solidified. And and one one thing to kind of go back to that estradiol um dosing her in her question she had mentioned that about, you know, cuz you put on the hormones 12, you know, every 12 hours, you know, give or take, but you put it on um twice a day, but about 4 to 5 hours prior to her next application time, she's starting to get those dull headaches. So honestly, you know, I like like we had mentioned, we think she might have a little bit too much estradiol, but in some cases when you see that, that means that that hormone or the estrogen is starting to wear off too quickly that she might actually need a little higher levels, like we had talked about, raising up that estriol, which would take care of those headaches, and then pulling out that testosterone for a little bit till, because her main complaint here is obviously, you know, having, she must have had some menstrual migraines when she was younger and, and menstruating. So there's a little bit of that component here so we can work on those headaches and those migraines. But um, putting the testosterone to the side and working on that bias to find that ratio and that dose first and then adding in, and because I always say testosterone is like the frosting on the cake. You want to build the cake up first by finding your proper hormones with your estradiol, your estriol, and your progesterone, and then you add the frosting on the cake, which would be the testosterone. Yeah, and you know the other thing is that ultimately she's on a 50-50 ratio, but really she's taking two milligrams of each. She's taking on one milligram of estradiol, one milligram of estriol, but she's only doing half of that. So really at the end of the day, she's only getting two milligrams of estrogen, which really is not very much. So to, a couple things. You and I typically would not start at a 50-50 ratio for a woman first time being on hormones. We would start at an 80-20 ratio and probably start out at a higher milligram amount. Uh, this is also the trend that we see a lot is it seems like doctors are just a little bit too afraid or a little bit too tentative on the doses that they give. Uh, so women are struggling around with these you know, very, very minuscule amounts and you know even the testosterone the testosterone is more than the estrogen and progesterone or at least the estrogen you know why not raise up the testo or the estrogen keep the testosterone out of it for a little while again like you said the frosting on the cake you know i think she probably have a little bit better response because like you said that 12 hour you know that 12 hour time frame that's why we usually recommend that you apply it twice a day because the half life of estrogen only lasts 
whatever you apply in the morning at seven o'clock, um, by you know five, six, seven o'clock in the in the evening, it's going to be wearing off. I agree. Yeah, raising up that estriol. Not don't be afraid of the estriol. Estriol helps kind of rein in some of the negative effects of estradiol. So it's it's. I think it would be important for for Jen to raise up that estriol, and then at the same time, it could even be the cream basis. So compounding pharmacies are all different but could be that she needs a different base that might have a little bit more longevity in her system, or she could also be applying her hormone cream to like her inner arms, which is very common um, practice is to apply the cream to the inner arms, which we don't necessarily like because all hormones are fat soluble. You know, they have a cholesterol back, they're fat based. So you don't want to apply it to a thin skin where there's no layer of fat. So we usually have people apply it to the inner thigh because there's a, you know, a nice fatty pad there. And then it has a little bit more longevity to last that full 12 hours. Yeah. Another thing to note, and we'll probably come around to this later. We've, I know we've talked about it in the past as well, and this will probably come up a few other times when we talk about lab testing. But when you apply it to the arm or, you know, a lot of women, they're told either by their friends or even by pharmacists sometimes, which they should know better. And sometimes they still tell them, you know, like I said, inside the arm, which is not good because it's right next to the breast tissue on the wrist, like you're rubbing in lotion or perfume. Uh, what that does when you go to the lab, which they draw the blood right from your, you know, what they call the antecubital fossa, which is basically the, the crook of your elbow, that applying that the hormone cream to that area of your arm is going to contaminate that sample. And we, we've seen this many times over the years for both men and women, they go get a blood draw and their numbers come back and now their testosterone or their estrogen is like off the chart and their doctors are freaking out. Uh, I had one gentleman, again, he had just put his cream on, went right to the lab. He had it on his hands, applied it to his thighs, right? Like we recommend either didn't wash it well enough or just a little bit of absorption from putting it on his hands. And his testosterone level was like 4,100. Uh, and his doctor was like ready to send him to an endocrinologist and, you know, was thinking the worst. And I said, did you apply your cream that morning? Yes. How much time had lapsed from you applied your cream to, uh, you went to the lab. It was like 45 minutes, maybe an hour. And we, for him, for the, some of the men, we like to put in uh, what you call DMSO into the, into the cream because it helps with the absorption. So, you know, for both genders, we've seen it many times The you know, the estradiol number or the testosterone number will just skyrocket if you, if you apply it to the, uh, to the upper arm. So we always recommend the thighs. So, you know, kind of piggybacking on what Dr. Mackey's saying there is if Jen's concerned, I definitely think doing a blood test would be a great idea is to check her levels, you know, check her FSH to see, you know, where she is in quote unquote menopause, check her estradiol levels, check her testosterone levels. So I would say that would probably be the next step for her is to do her blood work, but then at the same time, like Dr. Mackey had mentioned, is the best way to really evaluate where your levels are because it's not... Like we want to see where your levels are without the hormone. We want to see how you're absorbing the hormones and how it's you know integrating into your system. So you never want to not apply your hormone cream before you do your blood draw. You just want to make sure there's a little bit of time, a lengthy amount of time to be able to account for that absorbability. So usually we say, hey, put it on in the morning and then wait about, you know, three to six hours, you know, ideal, I like to say three to five hours after you've applied your cream to see how well you're absorbing it. So I would definitely say that would be a great great, you know, great insight for Jen is to just test it. 
Yeah, right. Uh, you know, granted, when it comes to specifically the the estrogen or the uh, the estradiol number, uh, a lot of times, especially in the beginning, those blood levels are just not getting up there high enough. Most menopausal women are going to have an estradiol level less than thirty. You know, if we can get it something above that, usually our reference range is somewhere between seventy five to one twenty five uh, on an upper limit. But if we don't get there, that's okay as long as symptoms are under control. That's really for that for particular individual, that's really the most important. Because if that estradiol number steep keeps going up, it's more likely that she might end up with some spotting or some bleeding later on. Yeah. And and of course, you know, I like the blood work, but we don't want to treat people like numbers on a piece of paper. But so one one thing that's interesting with Jen's question is she's talking about she's getting breast tenderness. Breast tenderness is usually a, a di- you know a direct influence from the estradiol being a little too high. And then she talks about not wanting to feel fat and pregnant, which would be the estradiol being too high, but then at the same time, she's getting these headaches that she doesn't like, and then she also wants to have, you know, good hair, good skin, and feel happy. So I definitely think, and she's she's obviously done her own research as well, is like Dr. Mackey said, is just change that ratio. She obviously has a little bit too much estradiol for the amount of estriol. Is sometimes keeping the estradiol exactly where it is right now, but raising the estriol will help balance out those negative effects of estradiol, but still get the benefits. But then at the same time, she won't have to have that breast tenderness or feel like she's gaining weight in the stomach. Yeah. The estriol is a little bit more of a it's still effective for symptom relief, all the things that women going through this transition really want to experience, but it's not as harsh or as has as many side effects as estradiol does. So that's why we do the 80-20 at least to start out because it's going to minimize, like you said, it's going to minimize that estradiol burden and hopefully they have a better transition and they get off to a better start. Uh, now, one thing you did mention, the breast tenderness one little trick, uh, and this is uh, you know kind of a neat little trick that actually works quite often. For whatever reason, uh, and we don't need to go into the specifics, but there's a lot of iodine receptors in the breast tissue. So one little trick that you can use for breast tenderness is actually to take some iodine, uh, and it does a you know especially when a woman is kind of transitioning like this and she's getting used to a dose. More than likely, that breast tenderness is probably going to, if the dose is reasonable and maybe the ratio is right, the breast tenderness would eventually just go away. Or you can give uh, a little bit, you can take a little bit of iodine and that will help calm down some of that breast tenderness. Yeah, iodine is great for breast tenderness or fibrocystic density or fiber or cysts in the breast tissue because some women have more, you know, larger breast tissue or they have cysts in their breasts. They're just prone to it. That's their thing. And the iodine is really is really helpful for that. So that might be an option for Jen if she's still, even when her headaches are resolved and she's feeling good, but she's still having a little bit of slight breast tenderness. That could be just kind of more of her disposition of her individuality. But then then you add in a little iodine, that would probably take care of it at the end. That would be another thing that I think would be like the frosting on the cake. Right. Now, uh, one thing to note about iodine, iodine is becoming very popular as of late. Some practitioners say everyone should take it. Everyone's deficient. Everyone's you know got an iodine problem. And that may be true, right? Because the places where iodine comes from is either iodine, uh, iodine, Dye salt 
uh, or it comes from sea vegetables. Now, you're Japanese, your mom's from Okinawa, you and I eat a lot of you know seaweed and different things like that, but most people probably really don't eat enough kind of food. And a little bit of, sushi, a little bit of seaweed on sushi really isn't enough to give you an adequate amount of iodine. But some of the supplements out there for iodine have these mega doses, like these huge milligram doses. So if you already have a thyroid problem, uh, they call it the Chaikov-Wolf effect, that sometimes iodine can actually make your thyroid function better, overactive, or it can actually suppress it. So the RDA for iodine is 150 micrograms. Um, We usually don't recommend people going really much over 1,000 micrograms as a nutritional amount uh, because too much more than that and you create some suppression. It's always fine to kind of titrate, meaning you increase that dose over time, but don't take these whopping doses, these 12 and 25 and 50 milligram amounts, because that usually you and I have used really high doses of iodine for people that are having hyperthyroid problems, not necessarily wanting to create thyroid suppression by their by them consuming too much iodine, which happens a lot. People think iodine, a little iodine is good. They take a whole bunch of it. You do a blood test and their TSH is 17. You know, maybe not 17, maybe seven, you know, right? It goes up fairly high. They take the iodine away and all of a sudden their, their thyroid, uh, their thyroid function normals out. Like I said, a little bit of iodine is good. Too much can be a little bit problematic. No, absolutely. Really good point to point out so people don't go and take too much iodine. So, But yeah, I think the iodine is a great, great thing for Jen if her breast tenderness doesn't start to resolve. And then she had mentioned too on here that she's taking um, oral progesterone. It says one milligram here, but I'm, I, she probably missed the two zeros. So most likely it's a hundred milligram oral progesterone at night, which is usually a, a very common, common dose. So it might even be that raising up that progesterone a little bit would offset some of the negative effects of the estradiol. So that would kind of, you know, help with the negative effects of the estradiol and help with the breast tenderness. Yeah. You know, progesterone, uh, I would agree. I'm sure it's probably a hundred milligrams. Um, that's something that we use all the time. That's usually most of the time a pretty well tolerated amount, you know, but you know, maybe it, maybe that might need to be lowered. You can go down to 75, you can go down to 50, but more than likely, you know, 75 is, you know, is, should be low enough. There's a lot of discussion. A lot of these questions we get are about uh, what's better, a progesterone cream or a progesterone capsule. And we always push for the progesterone capsule just because we don't feel that the progesterone cream is actually strong enough. And if a woman still has her uterus, and there's no information here that uh, I'm, we're assuming Jen does, uh, that um, – you know, it's really important for maintaining or for inhibiting the growth of that uterine lining, uh, which is why the, the progesterone capsules are our first choice uh, most of the time. And honestly, usually, you know, women, they you know, overall, they tend to tolerate it very well, um, at least in our experience. We haven't gotten some questions where people don't tolerate it. But when you're getting a question on a website or a comment on a, you know, uh, an email or a comment on a blog post, there's a lot of missing information. They could be contributing or they could be saying that they're not tolerating progesterone, but it could be something completely different. But they're assuming that they're not tolerating progesterone because most of the time, you know, women do just fine with it. Oh, yeah. Most of the time, women do great on progesterone. I was actually thinking perhaps for Jen is raising up the progesterone up to like 125. That might offset a lot of that breast tenderness. And one thing that you do find with menstrual migraines, so you know, Jen stopped her period, you know, four years ago, so she's menopausal. But, you know, as women that are have menstrual migraines with that are cycling, that tends to be more of a lack of progesterone rather than overproduction of estrogen. So 
So sometimes raising up that progesterone for someone that has a history of menstrual migraines might just help with those headaches. Yeah. And you said you can go 125, 150, 175, you can go up to, you know, 200. Usually there's not many situations why you'd need to go over 200. Uh, And remember, prometrium is not the same thing as bioidentical uh, progesterone. We don't feel that it is. Sometimes people say that it is. We're not really sure. Bioidentical progesterone seems to be a little bit weaker, quote unquote, a little bit weaker, not quite as strong or as potent as prometrium. Uh, so they're not really, you know, they're not really the same thing, even though they're kind of, we're told or doctors say it, it's the same thing. Even pharmacists will say it's the same thing. Unless you talk to a compounding pharmacist, they might say, they might tell you otherwise. Uh, so we prefer the compounded progesterone just because again, it's, it's using it in oral form. It kind of potentizes, it makes it a little bit stronger. You get some of these other benefits, sleep and anxiety and some of that stuff. Uh, certainly, like you said, the breast tenderness, um, but it doesn't seem to be as strong as the, you know, as the commercial version of that. Exactly. It seems like the micronized um, bioidentical sustained release progesterone is much more well tolerated than the Prometrium. Now, but don't get me wrong, I have plenty of patients on Prometrium and they do just fine on it. But overall, I'd say the, um, I guess, like I said, the tolerance or the effectiveness, it does seem to do better, especially on women that are more sensitive, is the sustained release progesterone micronized. And not even, and that's regardless of the fact that, you know, Prometrium has some different additives in there or some allergens that people might be allergic to. It just seems to be a tolerance effect because Prometrium is an instant release progesterone. So so that might be, a, you know, some thoughts for Jen. And but I definitely, I mean, we definitely, we're reading her question. We're like, this is a great question. You know, these are questions that women have because doing hormones, any kind of bioidentical hormone replacement therapy is not one size fits all. Not like here's a cookie cutter for you and everybody else is going to get the same thing. You really need to take the person's personal history, past personal history, you know, health history, and, and you know, find out what their goals are in terms of why they want to use the BHRT and really adjust it to that individual. Yeah. Uh, now with the breast tenderness, it's a little bit, you know, interesting that that's showing up so early. Normally, and this is also kind of a rule when it comes to BHRT sometimes, when you think you th- the dose should be lowered, you mentioned it already about the progesterone, when you think things should go down, it's really things, the doses actually need to go up. Minus the breast tenderness, that's the part that is a little bit of a, you know, throwing throwing everything off because if you raise it, the breast tenderness might just get worse, maybe, um, or it just might be, just be a, you know, it's the first month, she's only been on it four weeks, it might just be an act. Uh, it might just be an acclimation issue uh, where she just needs to, you know, kind of get used to it and then that will kind of uh, taper itself off. So, you know, this one, I think, like I said, this one's a good one. Uh, comes down to our preference most of the time, at least as a starting point. The first four weeks of being on BHRT is using an 80-20 ratio. I'm not really sure why doctors like to start with 50-50. We've come across a few of those 50-50 ratios, and it just seems obvious that that's just too strong for most for most women. Uh, so, Dr. Davidson, do you have anything else to add for this one, or can we uh, can we wrap this one up? No, no, this was great. So I really appreciate Jen for reaching out and asking questions, and I definitely appreciate everybody because we've gotten lots of questions on hormones and and dosings and symptoms and whatnot. So, so if it's happening to them, then it's happening to a lot of other women. So it's great to be able to share that. Yeah. If you have a question, you can uh, reach out on the blog or on the podcast. You can write a comment there. If you feel more comfortable, you can send us a direct email at help at progressorhealth.com. 
That way, uh, like I said, we can't answer everyone's email or question directly. It's just too time consuming to do that. But this way, everyone gets their answer individually, and then everyone else gets to benefit from that from that answer. Because I guarantee you, this ratio issue for Jen, it comes up over and over and over and over and over. And a lot of times, the patient's doctors don't really know how to modify it that well. You know, they come across a problem, they just do the same thing over, and they don't really know, you know, what's the best way to what's the best way to fix it. So uh, until next time, I'm Dr. Mackey. Oh, I'm Dr. Davidson. Take care. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Progress Your Health podcast. If you like what you've heard on this podcast, please give us a positive review on iTunes. This allows us to spread our message, grow our audience, and help more people around the world. For more information, visit our website at progressyourhealth.com.